Today you can take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are uh, continuing our oxygen series. In the first two weeks we talked about forgiveness. And as I was praying about uh, what we should um, what we should talk about today, I was led to kind of um, kind of review for a few minutes forgiveness and then move on. But um, what I'm going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about reconciliation. And um, every Christmas, my family we get in the car uh, one night and we'll get some hot chocolate, we'll get some coffee. And we'll drive around and look at Christmas lights. And it's always a, a great time, except sometimes people start to complain because I drive too fast. I don't know if you ever experienced that or not. And they're like, you know, if you would slow down a little bit, we could really enjoy the Christmas lights. And uh, I was like, you know, that kind of makes sense, you know. And... um You know, as I was thinking about preaching this week, I was thinking that preaching sermons can kind of be like my Christmas light experience. Because when you're preaching sermons and you're preaching sermon series, and the way my mind works, you kind of go from week to week to month to month, and you know, you stay on schedule, and my nature is to go fast. But I think we need to slow down a little bit. Because while we kind of took our time driving by the house of forgiveness, we were kind of driving a little too fast when we went by the house of reconciliation. And so today I want to talk about reconciliation. And uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, still talking about relationships. In fact, this whole year, uh, we every year we set a theme for what we're going to talk about, kind of what's going to drive the messages and our focus. And this year is the year of community. And so we're talking about relationships. Oxygen is essential for life. You know, we don't have oxygen. We're not breathing. We're not living. And forgiveness is one of those things that really puts air in our lungs. But I think if we can look at taking the next step in the process of reconciling broken relationships, it'll really help us to start breathing a whole lot easier if you know what I'm talking about. And you do know what I'm talking about if you've ever experienced reconciliation. So... Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Note this, put this on your notes, that reconciliation is different than forgiveness. Reconciliation is different than forgiveness. I am, I am persuaded that you can have forgiveness without reconciliation, but you can't have true reconciliation until you have authentic, genuine, deep down heartfelt forgiveness. And so reconciliation flows out of forgiveness. There's a couple of definitions I'll give you. They're going to be on the screen. I gave this one to you last week, that forgiveness is a statement of undeserved, unearned love that affirms that though I have been offended, there is no anger, there is no hatred, there's no desire for vengeance, no bitterness, and no retaliation. That is forgiveness. Well, retaliation, or not retaliation, but reconciliation is a little bit different. Reconciliation is the process of repairing the relationship so that you can re-engage, so that re-engagement and trust and cooperation become possible after a transgression or a violation. And so it's the process of repairing a relationship so that you can cooperate together, so that you can come back into a relationship with that person who has deeply offended you, deeply wounded you, 
deeply hurt you in some way. And what I want to say today is that it is possible. It is always possible to reconcile a relationship. Now, with that said, I know there are a lot of people that are saying, because I even had a conversation this week with someone who said, I understand forgiveness. I think that, you know, I don't understand a lot about reconciliation, but I know there's someone in my life that has, you know, we have odds against one another and reconciliation is never possible. Well, I am a person who is is that that kind of draw the line in the sand type of person that reconciliation is never possible. Until I have to write a sermon and preach one on reconciliation. So, you know, you're you're getting the overflow and the leftovers of what God's doing to me all week long. OK, it's talking to me about reconciliation. And I understand that there are hurts and there are pains. There are people in your life that have that have wronged you. And it's difficult to think about reconciling with those people. Also, there are people that that it may be dangerous for you to reconcile with those people. There are people who have died and it's not possible at all to reconcile with those people. I totally understand that. But I believe that there are many, many, many and probably most instances that we can reconcile our relationships. And today, Second Corinthians, chapter five, Paul was great apostle. He was a man that experienced a lot of difficulties, a lot of chaos in life. He even had relational brokenness. He had relational brokenness with one of one of the greatest apostles that ever lived uh, named Peter. Peter talks about relational reconciliation. Paul talks about relational reconciliation. But I'm not sure that they ever reconciled their their relationship and the differences they had toward one another. They actually chose to go their separate way so they could be more influential and more fruitful in their ministries. But they both talked about reconciliation. And reconciliation is uh, is important in our lives. There are three common myths that I want to give you that I think and that I've experienced some of these that are present and that kind of keep us from um, reconciling or taking the step to reconcile our relationships. First one is that reconciliation can never happen. As I said, we tend to draw lines in the sand and say, we'll never step over that line. And when we tell ourselves never, we tend to believe never. And so that reconciliation can never happen is one of the myths. The second myth is that we must resolve all the issues before we can reconcile And let me just tell you that that is impossible. You probably won't reconcile after you've resolved all the issues because it's probably not going to be really possible for you to resolve all the issues that are present in that disagreement. Third is reconciliation will never or relationship will never be as good or the same as it was before. And when we begin to believe these myths, then we tell ourselves never and we back off and we never pursue trying to reconcile the relationships that we're in. But let me tell you that broken relationships break the heart of God. God is a God of reconciliation. Not only is forgiveness His desire for you, but so is reconciliation. Restoring the relationship even between enemies. His goal is restoration. But when Paul was writing 2 Corinthians 5, he gives a clear picture of what I call the relational gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a relational gospel. It's not just a, um, a philosophy. It is, 
It's not just something that's out there that says, if you do this, this will help you out in life. The gospel is God's plan for life. The gospel is what God did to reconcile relationship with you and I. And Paul is looking at these words that he's writing. He is coming from his thoughts about thinking about God and what God did to restore Paul. If you know anything about Paul's life, Paul was extremely, uh, in his own mind, extremely godly. He was a Jew and he was doing everything he could to stop Christianity, which he believed was the godly thing to do. But God appeared to him, the form of Jesus Christ appeared to him on a road one day and changed his life forever. And he showed him grace and he showed him mercy. And if you look in the Old Testament and you see the law, you know that taking a life of another person would require your own life. Remember we talked about justice or fairness last week, about when it comes to fairness or forgiveness. And out of fairness, God could have struck Paul dead because Paul was responsible for killing a lot of Christians. But God didn't show him fairness. God showed him forgiveness and it changed his life. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is reminiscing. He's thinking about how God changed his life. How God reconciled the relationship. He didn't bring Paul in and resolve all the issues of Paul's sin. No, God said, hey, I have a plan already to take care of this. And I sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to shed his blood to be to be the sacrifice and to be the payment, the propitiation for your sins. And Paul, I want a relationship with you because I love you and I can't bear to see you run away. I can't bear it. I want a relationship with you, Paul. And Paul accepted. Paul had the decision to make. Am I going to accept it or am I going to reject it? Paul accepted the grace and forgiveness and the, the mercy of, of God that day. And he's reminiscing about it here. And he's, he's thinking about not just how God saved him, but he's thinking about how it changed his life and how he's living his life now. And then he's thinking about the future and how he'll have a home in heaven and he'll be face to face with Jesus Christ. And he has a home there. He has a reward there. And there'll be people there that he poured his life into that had, that he had helped reconcile their relationship with God. And this whole passage of scripture is really a passage about evangelism. It's about reaching out to people because it says that, that God has reconciled all things to himself. He has changed our life and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But when I think about the, evangelism part of, of church and ministry and bringing people to God, I think about the passage of Scripture that says, how can you love God whom you've never seen and you don't love your brother that you have seen? And so I'm convinced that before we can be effective in our reaching people with the Gospel so they can go to heaven and be reconciled to God, we've got to be really intentional and effective in reconciling our own personal relationships in this world. I think it's essential. I know it's essential. God's heart is reconciliation. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, and this is the lesson we're going to learn from that, and then I'm going to read this passage, is that when I make Christ the center of my life, and the reason this is our lesson is because Paul has taken a Christ-centered approach to life and he's taking a Christ-centered approach to his relationships. And so the lesson is this, is when I make Christ the center of my life and all my relationships, it changes my heart toward my hurts and those who hurt me. Because when we make Christ the center of life and all of our relationships, it takes our focus off of our hurts and pain and, and the, the wrongs that have been uh, practiced against us. And it turns our heart to the one who is the forgiver, the reconciler, the restorer, the 
One who obliterates sin and sets us free from it. Paul says that the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live, might no longer live for themselves. Who are you living for? Do you ever live for yourself? Do you ever feel like you're being selfish? You're kind of living for the moment, and living for what you want, and what feels good, and what feels right? Well, Paul says, hey, that, that was me. Christ's love changed me. I no longer live for myself. And then he's speaking on behalf of his people, the people who are in ministry with him. We no longer live for ourselves. And those who have accepted Christ, we no longer live for ourselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now stop and think about this with me. The flesh is the emotion it's it's all this. I mean, you can touch it. You can feel it. It's it's skin. It's it's people can touch you. They're touching your flesh, you, your feelings, your emotions. That, that's your flesh. So we don't regard anyone any longer with our flesh, our emotions, our mind, the way we think. Now, think about thoughts you have of other people that might be in the flesh. That's not good, is it? And when we're in the flesh and we've been hurt, then our nature is to want to retaliate or to see them be paid back or hurt. That may not be your nature, but that's the nature of some. Your nature may be to run. But by nature, we do not want to reconcile the relationship. By nature, we want to run to someone else and talk to them about the other person who hurt us. We want to be soothed. We want to be uh, comforted. And we tell other people because we think there's going to be some kind of comfort from that. But what it turns into is it turns into gossip and it turns into slander. And it turns into deeper alienation. It turns into more hurt and pain. And it just widens the gap for us to be able to reconcile a relationship. Paul says we don't regard people in the flesh anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so in Christ... We're made new. We're made different. We don't embrace hate or apathy or alienation. We don't blame or gossip or slander. We think differently. And when it seems natural to talk about people to other people, we talk to God about it. And that's what God's called us to do. God has called us to talk to Him about it. Because He's the one that can fix it. We often get trapped by unhealthy, ungodly chatter with other people about our relationships. But let me just let me challenge you today to not get locked in and don't get locked down by thoughts of other people that are not godly and healthy. Because when you get in that place, you begin to think that re- reconciliation is not possible. Don't get locked in and locked down by what is impossible, but take it to God who is the one who can do the possible, right? He can do the impossible. He makes all the, the impossible possible. Even reconciling difficult relationships. Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So He gave us the message of reconciliation, but later on He says He gave us the ministry 
of reconciliation. So he showed us how to reconcile relationships rooted in forgiveness. And he gave us the ministry and said, go do it. Go reconcile people. Go reconcile your relationships and go reconcile people to me. So because of the grace and mercy of God, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, no one is beyond forgiveness and no relationship is beyond repair unless one person or the other rejects it. And then what do you do? You just keep talking to God and pray for God to make all things possible. Well, there are some things that I want to show you. There are, um, there are some peace breakers that we tend to live by in broken relationships. We tend to set the bar high for other people. When we've been wronged, we tend to set the bar high for restoring a relationship and we set the bar high for people to come back into relationship with us. I know from my own experience, it's just thoughts of, hey, they're going to have to come back and they're going to have to confess, own up to, repent. And what I'm doing is I'm kind of setting myself up on this throne as the king. And I want them crawling back to me asking for mercy. Anybody else like that? Do you ever feel that way? That's a lie right there. Nobody raised their hand. Am I the only one? Okay, well, I'm just telling you that I guess I'm, I'm like, I'm unique. I'm weird. But, but we think about, think about setting yourself up higher than other people. It's really going to be impossible. They're not going to come back begging for mercy. We set the bar high. The goal is to eliminate the bar. This is an acrostic here. B-A-R. Number one, we've got to eliminate blame. We have to eliminate blame. I don't have to explain blame. It's your fault. You did it. It's all on you. I'm free. I did nothing. So we have to eliminate blame. Second thing we have to eliminate is alienation. Running from the problem. Running away from the relationship. Not wanting to see that person ever. Wishing they would just die and go away. I, I know that when I go through hurts and pains and people have wronged me, there are times I get in this place where I just want to run away. I just want to shut down. I just want to quit. And I think, I just if I could just move to Southern California where the weather is perfect, it's just gorgeous there, and I could just start over. But there's a problem. I have blame, and I take my problems with me everywhere I go. And so those problems are going to follow me. So running away, alienating yourself is never going to be the solution to a problem. So we have to eliminate alienation. And then we have to eliminate resolution. We have to eliminate resolution. And to a lot of people, it probably doesn't make sense. But resolution would be, and I, I've been, have you ever been through mediation? Anybody ever been through a legal process of mediation? So I've been through mediation. Um, with um, a lawsuit that I really wasn't involved in um, per se, but I, I ended up having, I became the pastor of a church that had a lawsuit going on and I had to step into the process. And I remember this one day, we had to go to an attorney's office and the other party was coming to the same office and we sat in two different rooms and we had attorneys in our rooms and they were helping us mediate this issue. And man, if I could just camp out right here for about three minutes... I remember going to the other person and saying, hey, 
you lent the church, and he lent the church like $325,000 to buy a piece of property. Very wealthy guy. And he got mad, he left the church, and he wanted his money, and he wanted it now. He wanted it repaid, and they couldn't pay it right, right then and there, and so he sued the church. Um, that's just it in a nutshell. So I asked him if he could meet me somewhere, just one-on-one, and I went there to say, hey, can we just, can we just fix this? Can we just work this out between us? This is not the right way to do it. Let's just work it through. We're doing everything we can. Just give us some time. We're trying to get a loan. We'll pay you back your money. Everybody will be good. And so he, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. So he writes a letter to the church and he said, um, we can work this out, but I want 375,000 or 400,000. He, he upped the amount that he wanted. And if we weren't going to give that, then he was going to sue. So anyway, he sued us. We go to mediation and this is what happened. We ended up right where we were supposed to be paying him the amount of money that he was owed. That was it. We could have saved a lot of time, a lot of stress, a lot of heartache, and a lot of money that goes to attorneys by just forgiving and doing what was agreed upon. Okay? Sometimes in relationships, we say, hey, I want you to own up to this, and I want you to own up to this, and we get in this battle of who's going to own what. Do you know what? When you, when you experience real forgiveness, real forgiveness doesn't care about who did what. Real forgiveness, real forgiveness is about setting that person free. It's about just setting that person free. Just letting it go because you worked it out between you and God and it's no longer about the person. See, a Christ-centered life and Christ-centered relationships doesn't put the focus on the person or the issue. It puts the focus on God who is the forgiver and the restorer, the reconciler of the relationship. So you've got to eliminate the bar, the blame, the alienation, and the resolution of the issues. And so those are basically the peace breakers. If we don't eliminate those, we're probably not going to reconcile our relationships. But that moves me to the next place that I want to be. And that is to look at the peacemakers. God has given us peacemakers all through Scripture. And uh, if we want to be countercultural, if we want to break the mold, then we need to be peacemakers. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. That's what the Bible says. They shall be called the sons of God. You know, I think about my son and I think about the things that he does that resemble his father. Some things I like, some things I don't like. The things I don't like, I want to change in him real quick because I get a little antsy because I don't want him to grow up and be exactly like me. But I look at some things and think, man, that's that's like me and I I want him to be like me. There, There are some things about me that I want my son to have. I like those things about him. Sons resemble their fathers. And when that scripture says that peacemakers will be called the sons of God, I think it's because, you know, you look at kids and they resemble their parents. I mean, you take Eric Ginther right there. You look at Eric Ginther's kids. They look just like that guy. Everybody said amen, right? His kids look like him. He can't deny those kids. And that's exactly what I'm saying is that people look at the people of God and when they say, hey, those are peacemakers, 
Those must be children of God because God's a peacemaker. God's a forgiver. God's a restorer. And those people do everything they can to restore and reconcile the relationship. They resemble their father. And so here it is. Four peacemakers. Number one is love. John, it's all about love, my brother. It's all about love. It's all about love. Loving God and loving people. What does love do? First Peter. So here's Peter. He's agreeing with Paul about what matters. Not about their little issues. They have their personalities and their differences. Peter says, love covers a multitude of sin. Covers a multitude of sin. Love is the key element. Transformation. Love is the key element to reconciliation. That leads to number two. Peacemaker number two is pardon. You know what pardon is? Pardon is to unconditionally release your rights to make the other person pay for their wrongdoings. It isn't limited by degree. And it isn't limited to the frequency of the offense. What Jesus say about forgiveness? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. So, pardon, pardoning the offenses, pardon is, is forgiveness, it's setting those people free from what they owe. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, it says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So, you know, he also talks about the, the putting on a robe of righteousness, that God clothes us with a robe of righteousness. Well, what does that righteousness look like? It means we're made right in the sight of God but also means I think that we can be viewed as right in the eyes of people. Put on then, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. And then he goes on. He says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on what? Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Oh, and be thankful. By the way, be thankful. Don't begrudge it. Don't hold the grudge. Don't get angry. But be thankful that God has allowed you to experience peace. With Him and peace in your relationships. So there's pardon. R.C. Sproul says this. Peace calls us to under-accuse, over-repent, and over-forgive. Let us not be afraid to call sin, sin. But let us not be slow to forgive and look past it. It's pretty good. Calls us to under-accuse, over-repent, and over-forgive. Peacemaker number two is pardon. Peacemaker number three is initiative. What is initiative? It's having drive, right? It's having this motivation. It's being compelled to do something to the, pl- to the point and the place where you can't not do it. Where you can't not do it. And so initiative is taking that first step. It's being the, the initiator, the, the primer, the starter of the reconciliation process. So Matthew 5 says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I wonder if part of the wall we feel that's built up between us and God and part of the reason we don't feel like God is doing a work like He used to do way back in the Bible times and we feel like God's holding Himself back. I wonder if it has anything to do with our willingness to not just forgive, but to reconcile with our brothers and sisters who we've had differences with. I just wonder. I don't know the answer, but I do think it's possible. There have been times that I have recalled that, that passage that I just read and God said, hey, are you going to leave your gift and go be reconciled to your brother? And my answer has been a very clear no. I'm not. And God's been gracious and kind to me. But I have said no. I've rejected it. I've said never. But God said, hey, Brian, it's not going to happen unless you take the first step. And there have been times I said, okay, God, well, I'm good with that. I'm good with never. I'm, I'm good with never. I'm good with alienation. I'm good with blame. I'm, I'm good with that. But God says, hey, you've got to remove the bar. You, you, you've got to get a different vision for yourself. That it's not about you. Brian, it's not about you. This is about me. And if you're going to be a part of a ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to Christ, you've got to live that out in your own relationships because you can't really love me unless you're loving your brother. And hey, I can't, I can't say and, and confirm and guarantee that just because you take the first step, there's not going to be hurt and there's not going to be pain and there's not going to be rejection. Hey, I've been told no. I drove to a guy's house one time and said, hey, I know I did this. I know it hurt your feelings. I didn't feel like I was really in the wrong. But I knew that it hurt their feelings. My approach was probably wrong. And I said, I need you to forgive me. The words were, this is the way I see it. When you overstep a boundary with me and my kids and my family, it'll never be the same. Ever. He said, I don't hate you. I become apathetic towards you. I will come in, I will shake your hand, I will say, hi, how you doing? But it'll never be the same. And he rejected my forgiveness. I cried. I've been rejected forgiveness. But I think God was just showing me, hey, it's not about them. It's about me and you. It's about you taking the first step. It's about you doing what I ask you to do. It's about where your heart is. Is your heart on you? Is your heart fixed on me? That's really what it's about. And if they reject it, you have to be okay with it. If they receive it, then God will bring joy to your life like you've never experienced. It'll never be the same, and I would say you probably don't want it to be the same that it was before. But I think it can be better. Not just in broken friendships, not just in broken parent-child relationships, but even in marriages where there's been infidelity, where there's been dishonesty, where there's been unfaithfulness, God can take those and God can restore and it can be better than you ever 
imagined. But somebody's got to take the first step. And that's got to be you. Take the first step. And number four, number four is peacemaker, number four, it's patience. Patience. You know, we, we say we don't want to pray for patience. I don't recommend that. You know, it's kind of like I say, I look at my wife, I looked at her, it was, it was a few months ago, and she was sitting there, and I was like, Lord, I love her so much. Help me just to love her more. And God has a sense of humor. And the next day, she was like this three-headed monster. And I said, God, I didn't say... Teach me how to love her. I didn't say make this happen. I said, just let it be. Let it, you know, God just didn't let it be. You know, there were some guys who were drafted into the NFL this week and it didn't just let it be. It was over hard work and practice and time and sweat and tears and struggle and, and pulling your hair out and crying and thinking you were never going to make it. I believe that struggle is part of the growth process. And if God wants me to love my wife better, he's going to give me the opportunity to put it in place and practice it. Even if she's a three-headed monster. So don't just necessarily pray for patience. Just understand that patience, patience is the struggle. Waiting is the struggle. It's part of it. And what you have to wait for is you have to wait on the other person sometimes to respond and to receive it. Sometimes you have to wait on yourself to get the the idea of taking the step to reconcile a relationship. You have to wait for it to get from here to here as God is healing your hurts and your wounds. And as you're focused on God, He's He's easing your pain and He's bringing you comfort and He's loving on you. And your need for love is not so much needing it from the other person as it is just knowing that God loves you and God's called you to do this because this extends God's love to somebody else. So sometimes you have to wait. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. C.S. Lewis said, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. And today, you're here and you may have a broken heart. You may have broken relationships. And what I want to say is that God showed us the greatest picture of reconciliation. That it's not about resolving the issues. It's about restoring a relationship. And today you may be here and you have unresolved and unreconciled relationships. You may be a mother here today and it may be with your child. And I know I've had people talk to me in the last few weeks about having a, a broken relationship with children. And will you please pray? Will you please pray? Will you please pray? And and I pray for them and I pray for God to break hearts and for someone to take the initiative to bring that back together. But in our way of response today, maybe you're thinking of a relationship that's unreconciled. 
And your first thought is, I don't really want to reconcile it. And your other thought is, man, I have a dream of it being reconciled, but I really don't see it happening. Anybody, anybody like that today? Okay, there's some. There's some. Hey, Eric, do you have, do you have that mic? Uh, do you have a, will you bring it? Barry, would you, would you come? Barry, will you, will you come? Will you give the mic to Barry? I'm just going to ask you to, will you pray over un, the unresolved issues? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a parent-child relationship. Maybe it's you and your spouse. Will you just pray for God to begin to heal these relationships? We bow with us and just pray right now for these relationships to be reconciled. Father, you're welcome here in this place. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning knowing that you are the healer. Our faith is in you and your ability to heal relationships, to, to bring play, our relationships to a place of restoration. And Father, I pray for for a spirit of forgiveness in our hearts for broken relationships. Father, we just even think of those names right now, who they may be, knowing that, that we have it there and you know who they are. And Father, we just, as a symbol, just hand that to you this morning. We hand that person, that situation, the, the issues to you and, and say, Lord, we, we release forgiveness to them, knowing that you may have us work it out in the future as well. But for, in our hearts this morning, we want to give that to you and release that. And Lord, we know that you have for us wholeness and restoration in our own hearts to be able to go forth with the initiative to do that. And we receive this morning restoration into our own hearts. We don't want to carry this anymore. So Father, we give them to you. We give the situations to you. We give our husbands to you, our wives to you, our relatives to you, our co-workers to you. For they are your children as well. And Father, we extend forgiveness to them. We extend forgiveness to them from our heart, Jesus. And we receive from you the love that you bathe us with as we, as we get free. Father, we break free from the prison we've kept ourselves in because of unforgiveness. And we step out and walk into the freedom to be able to work out these situations. Father, we pray in your name that you would show us what the next step is for us as we move towards reconciliation and restoration. Who to go, where to go. Open the doors where we think it's not open. Open them supernaturally for us, Father, and we will walk through. We just lay these things before you, our hearts, that we would not have anything interfering with our one-on-one -on -one with you as we grow and develop with burning hearts for Jesus, burning hearts for the Father and the release of the Holy Spirit through the fire of God in our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, maybe broken relationship or an unreconciled relationship is not where you are, but you have unresolved issues. Anybody have unresolved issues with anybody? Yeah. And what can happen is, is you know, a splinter can turn into a sore and it can get infected and it can really hurt. Um, cause you a lot of pain. You know, issues are some of the same, it's kind of the same way as that they, the issues kind of get there and get under the skin and they don't really just go away. We have to deal with the issues. But this may be another myth that we believe is that we have to 
deal with the issues with the other person. Today, I want to, I want to just want us to pray that we'll deal with the issues because undealt with issues can lead to broken relationship. And we don't want that to happen. And so I'm going to ask my wife, Heather, will you come? Will you just pray for issues to be resolved in a godly way, in a healthy way, even if it doesn't include the other person, but that God will take these issues and deal with them before they end in broken relationships? Would you do that? Father, we just thank you for this day and for this message and for this moment, Lord God. Thank you that it's no accident that you brought us together. Thank you that it's no accident that these people are sitting in this seat today, Father God. Give us courage. Give us courage to address our issues, Father. Give us clarity to know what our issues are. Father, give us purpose to deal with those issues. Give us strength. Father, I pray against the enemy that as you're bringing issues up into our mind even now, the enemy will tell us, no, that's not yet. No, that's not yet. No, that's not yet, Father. In the name of Jesus, the Most High King, Lord God, today, we bind the enemy, the liar, the great deceiver, Father, and we ask you to do real work in our hearts and lives, Father God. Give us courageous hearts. Give us clear minds to deal with the things that you're bringing into our midst, into our presence right now. Father, thank you that you set the captives free. Thank you that your plan today is to break bonds that have held people captive for years and years and generations and generations. Father, we stand against those curses. We stand against those strongholds, Father, in the name of the Most High King. Father, you tell us that we are more than conquerors through you who love us. Do your mighty work today, Father, as only you can. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us today? I'm going to ask our prayer team if you guys would come and just be available here for the next few minutes. Maybe you just can't see that it's possible to reconcile a relationship. I'm going to ask you to come. And let somebody pray with you if you feel so led to do that. Maybe you're here today and you haven't reconciled your relationship with God Himself. We want to lead you to life. We want to help you to understand what it means to be in a relationship with God and know that you can know Him. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience freedom. And He'll be the breath in your lungs to give you life everlasting. And He'll lead you to take those steps and give you a vision for what it means to reconcile with other people and to forgive and to restore and to show grace and mercy as He shows it to you. You come as God leads you and as we sing together.